0: This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Hey guys, it's me, Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you a huge favor. If you could take out your phone and scroll all the way down to where the ratings and review section are on the app where you listen to your podcast, I would be so appreciative if you could give us a five-star rating or leave a review, tell us something that you loved about an episode that you heard right here. Not only does that help others to discover the Dear Founder podcast, but it also helps others to check out and discover the amazing women and the stories that we share here each and every week. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Found Her. In a last minute switch, I have decided to scrap the episode that was originally scheduled for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022, which is election day and move it to next week. I simply just didn't feel right about dropping an episode about something other than what is going on in the world today. And so that is why in a last minute shift, I've decided to re-release an earlier episode from this year that I'm incredibly proud of with Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, who are the co-founders of Pantsuit Politics, which is an independent podcast that takes an different approach to the news Sarah and Beth are normal citizens like you and me and they prioritize curiosity over the conflict that often drives political conversations you can really pay attention to their podcast without the anxiety you'll hear them talk and research about all ever about every single aspect of every single topic that they cover and I was incredibly touched and honored that they graced me with their presence earlier this year so if you're waiting in line at the polls or if you're simply waiting for the the midterm results later tonight, take a listen to Sarah and Beth and what they have to say and make sure you give them a follow. They are a great source for unbiased political information and absolutely a, a handle and an account that you should and a podcast that you should tune into as we are preparing for and waiting for the returns and watching the returns of this historic election today is really a historic day and there is more at stake than ever before so if you haven't voted yet i sure hope that you get out and vote regardless of however it is that you decide you want this world to be you cannot complain when it's all over if you haven't cast that ballot and i want to read this from muhammad safa and i thought this was one of the best things that i saw about the election and about voting to date He said the best voting advice, voting isn't marriage, it's public transport. You're not waiting for the one, you're getting on the bus. And if there isn't one going to your, exactly to your destination, you don't stay home and sulk. You take the one that's going closest to where you want to be. So don't forget that when you're voting today, you are voting for what the future holds. You are voting for how you want the future of this country to be run. And you are voting for the issues that are most important to you. So on that note, please come on in and listen to this incredible episode with Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, and make sure you give Pantsuit Politics a follow. You will not regret it. What I love most about this story is that Sarah and Beth started Pantsuit Politics as a passion project, and wow, has it grown in some very major ways. Pantsu Politics was named one of 2021's Best Shows by Apple podcast and has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Good Morning America 3, The Guardian, Elle Magazine, and Parents Magazine. They're also the authors of Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. And I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversation. The second book was featured on MSNBC's Morning Joe. Sarah and Beth met in college before going their separate ways for law school. Sarah pursued a career in politics as a congressional staffer and campaign aide, and Beth practiced law before serving as a human resources executive. Sarah lives in Paducah, Kentucky, with her spouse, Nicholas, and children, Griffin, Amos, and Felix. Beth lives in Union, Kentucky, with her spouse, Chad, and children, Jane and Ellen. Sarah's dog, Cookie, and Beth's dog, Lucy, are beloved and involuntary contributors to their work. Please come on in and meet Sarah and Beth. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I am beyond excited about today's guests. And for those of you who know me and have been following me for a long time, you will definitely understand why when we get into this conversation. But I have the co-host and co-founders of Pantsuit Politics, Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers here with me today to share their incredible story. So welcome, ladies. Thank Thank you. you so
1: much for having us. Thank you for being here.
0: So I am enthralled with what you do. I think it's amazing. I was beyond excited when your people pitched you to me and honored that they did. So I would love for you to share with our community who you are, what you do, how you got here.
2: Well, I'm the designated um, origin storyteller here at Pantsuit Politics, so I'll start some of it. Um, I'll get us to the start of the podcast, and I'll let Beth pick it up. Um, So I uh, moved back to my hometown from Washington, D.C. in 2009 and had my first son, Griffin, and I was in um, sort of the mommy blog space for a long time. I had a blog, personal blog that a friend from law school said, would you want to start a blog with me? Um, and I said, for sure, we did that for a while that I had my own personal blog. I did some social media consulting and around like 2014, my husband probably earlier than that got really into podcasts and he kept saying, you should start a podcast. You would be so good at this. I mean, not to brag, I did get most talkative as my high school superlative. So, (laughs) um, he just kept saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. I really think you'd be good at this. And around that time I was starting to sort of put my political hat back on. I had definitely taken it off when we left DC and moved back to Paducah for a while. And I started having kids and was sort of consumed by my identity as a new mom. And then I was going to go and do Emerge Kentucky, which is a program for democratic women considering public office. And I guess I'd done that at that, by that point and was considering running for local office in my hometown and was just, you know, thinking about politics again in a, in a big way. And I thought, well, maybe I could do a podcast where I, I interview all my female friends that work in politics. I did one like a test one. It just said on my desktop, like, I think I really like answering questions better than asking them. Um, and so. It was sitting there, I did want to do something, but I didn't really know what. And around that time on my personal blog um, I, I really would just write like a stroller review. And then my thoughts on the Syrian civil war, it was like day to day, just whatever I was, I was transitioning and it was apparent, um, I'm surprised on we
0: never crossed path, space. to be honest.
2: Yeah. If I, well, I was, you know, I was a little late to the game. And so, um, you know, I went to a bunch of mommy blog conferences and I know all the, all the big players from the early aughts. Um, if just by name, if not, we're like close friends or anything, but I learned a lot in that space without a doubt. Um, And I'm thankful for that time. But so I, but I was, I wanted to write about more than parenting. I knew that and think and talk more about parenting. And so Beth reached out to me and said, Would you ever want a guest post on your blog? And anybody who's filled a blog day to day is like, Absolutely, because that's a day I don't have to write. Yay. Um, And we had gone to college together, but we'd not stayed in close touch, we'd sort of reconnected through natural birth. I had two home births Um, and Beth reached out to me sort of to to ask some questions about natural birth and had reconnected through that, which is a um, pretty political topic actually. Yep. Um, and so she said, would you ever want some guest posts? And I said, absolutely. And she, she wrote a couple, she wrote one called Nuance that was really about like, hey, every social media post does not contain the entirety of who we are as people we were fighting about Cecil the lion at the time, which is adorable when you think back on it. Um, do you remember Cecil the lion? The, the lion that somebody hunted and everybody was- a dentist. So, oh, yes. Oh my God, lion. yes. See, okay. it, all fits, it flows yes. back and then you're like in that moment in 2015. And so um, it went, you know, it, it went a little viral for my blog. It really connected with people. And I thought, well, wait a second. I knew that at the time Beth was a Republican. And so I said, hey, what if we- did sort of like a bipartisan podcast, you know, crossfire, but not annoying. Um, no yelling. Our, our tagline at the beginning was no shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance and sort of a, a nod to that post that I think was sort of the the beginning. I said, would you want to start a podcast? I still have the email. And she said, what's a podcast? And I said, don't worry, we'll figure that out. My husband. Had um, sort of taught himself how to audio engineer by listening to my brother, my brother and me, where they talk about how they like linked up sounds. So he kind of, he was our amateur audio engineer in the beginning. And we, we did a test call where I said, let's just get on the phone and see how it goes. And we talked for 45 minutes and I thought, no. And I said, we're not going to do this anymore unless we're recording it. We have something here. We have very, we have very complimentary personalities. Our personalities are very different. Um, and we just had really good conversational chemistry and energy from the beginning. Um, and so we started, we had little babies. My youngest was, um, gosh, a little under a year, her youngest, well, they're very close in age, um, a little under a year. And so we would like at the end of, cause she worked full-time at the end of her day and, and late into the evening, we would sit down and talk politics and record it and thought maybe a couple people would listen. Um, but pretty quickly saw that we were feeling a need that not only we had to have these type of conversations that we weren't hearing in regular media, but that a lot of people had.
1: Yeah, Lindsay, my uh, my daughters are 11 and seven. I have two daughters. So I know we, 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 are, we are in children. the same boat. Yes, the same <laughs> phase of life. And it really was around the birth of both of my daughters that I kind of was inspired to do something more creative. I had a therapist tell me that all creativity is the same, whether you're creating a person or creating a business or a poem or whatever, like creation is creation. And so I think I was in that frame of mind. So um, my younger daughter, Ellen, was five months old when we started Pantsuit Politics. And we would, I would work all day. I, I My experiences as a corporate bankruptcy lawyer and then as a chief human resources officer. So I was doing that HR work all day, coming home and sitting in the floor of my closet with the microphone propped on a pile of books to talk with Sarah. And we just made it happen. And it was fun. And it felt like a release to me. And it felt like it was meeting a need that I had to kind of have meaningful conversations, and work some things out, and um, have conversations that weren't productive in any way, you know, that weren't trying to just check a box and get a task accomplished. It felt really good to me. I was extremely surprised um, a couple weeks in when I got a notice on my phone that Apple Podcasts had, which was then iTunes, had tweeted about us, And we were featured in new and noteworthy. And back then that was the ball game. If you were in new and noteworthy, that was a very big deal. And it was for us. And so suddenly we had an audience. And since then, um, that audience has been incredibly generous and supportive. And we got a call one day from someone who listens, who's a literary agent and said, I think that you guys could do a book really successfully. We got calls from listeners saying, will you come speak at this event that my organization is hosting? And so our listeners really took what was a passion project for us and turned it into a business. And it is through listener support uh, directly, financially, and, and all those opportunities that they continue to put in front of us that uh, pansy Politics is about to turn seven, which is just unbelievable to me. Thank you so much to have a podcast that has gone seven years. Feels um bananas and so surprising and now it's both of our full-time jobs and we have two full-time staff members and we get to work with a lot of wonderful external partners like Melissa who connected us with you Lindsay and it's just um it has changed my life in every way and and it's been just an enormous gift but I too- love your
0: I love your story for so many reasons but before we kind of dive into the questions that I have about your story I want you to explain to our community exactly what Pantsuit Politics is. For those people who don't know, I want to make sure that they do when they walk away from this podcast.
2: Well, that's a good transition to what I was just about to ask Beth, which is part of that journey is us starting as a bipartisan podcast, but that's not what we are anymore.
1: Yeah, we... Through our conversations, I think I changed. I think the world changed as well. I think the world indisputedly changed between November of 2015 and today. And so in uh, 2019, I officially changed my party registration, but we really kind of never leaned into that bipartisan label the way that our initial branding would have led you to believe. And that's been a lesson learned. The power of that branding, even when it's not congruent with what's really happening, is hard to overcome. So so certainly as a, as a founder, I've taken a, a big note there. Um, but now Pantsuit Politics is twice a week, you sit down with us, I hope that you feel like we are friends who did the homework. We've read everything, we bring our law degrees to bear. We go to primary sources, we understand what's happening in the news and we sit down with each other to try to make sense of it and to make meaning of it. We are not trying to convince anyone to agree with us. Sometimes we agree with each other, sometimes we don't. Our personalities, as much as our political philosophies come to bear in those conversations. But what you're really gonna hear is two women, friends, moms, lawyers sitting down with the current state of things, hashing it out. And hopefully finding a new question in that that's helpful, that helps you understand your own perspective and what what meaning this has for you in your own life.
2: And I'll say, you know, from the beginning, the consistent thread has been that, like, even though we would say, start every show, well, I'm Sarah from the left and I'm Bed from the right. And we were trying to give people sort of an orientation. We also said that part about like, no shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. From the beginning, we're like, these labels fit us sort of like- we were always, in the beginning and, and through till today, try to bring curiosity, try to keep learning from the beginning. We've done shows that we've called many different things, but are basically just um, like little lessons. Like, well, let's let's go back to the drawing board. What do we think we know about welfare, but what do we not actually know about welfare? Or, you know, whatever the the subject is. So I think, you know, some of that branding was to give people language to understand. And look, there's, there's really no way to talk about politics in the United States. We live in a two party system. Like that's just, that's just the lens that people are going to bring to it. And we were just from the beginning, pushing back against that. We were really pushing it back against the idea of like, this is what you think political conversations should look like, but that's not what they always are. And what I always tell people is like, we're the podcast for people who can't stomach political podcast. Like we're for the, for the listener who's like, Oh, politics. And they listen, they're like, okay. But because there's always that undercurrent of like, I know it's important. I just don't want to be made to feel like an anxious, angry mess. And that's, you know, from 2015 to today, that has been our sort of guiding principle. We don't want people to leave an anxious, angry mess.
0: Well, so I want to ask you that, that is absolutely something I want to talk about because, I think obviously we, I mean, politics is a big, angry mess right now. And like, I, I shared a post yesterday about the assault weapons ban and the work that I'm doing for March 4th. And, and I, and I'm used to, as you guys probably are getting, you know, nasty comments, but I mean, it was like, I had multiple people on the post, write Fuck you. Nice. I had, I had someone call me, are you say, are you so stupid? You're retarded, which is so offensive, like oh so God. offensive. And so, you know, but you're in this all day, every day. I mean, you guys are tackling tough topics all the time. Do you find that the people who are listening do come from both ends of the spectrum? Do you find that people are so vicious like that? And how do you deal with it? And how do you tell people? I mean, you wrote a book about it. You wrote a book about about dealing with people on the other side. So, you know, so how do you how do you formulate that in your own business? Because And I think that that extends also outside of politics. I mean, you're always going to have people who are contending with you and maybe don't agree with you, whether it's politics or business or life or whatever it is. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: What I have learned by talking about politics on the Internet for the last seven years, and that was not me before the past seven years, I did not come with Sarah's experience of working in public, um, is that the harshest vitriol and the vitriol that hurts the most comes from people whose expectations have been disappointed. So I can imagine that because you operate in a lot of spheres, that there are people who didn't know your political leanings and were disappointed by them and they reacted in anger in a way that we often don't get on our posts anymore because people kind of know what to expect from us. Certainly the, the nastiest correspondence that I've received has been from Republicans at the beginning, who said, No, you don't represent me. You are not Republican enough. I can't believe that you're saying these things. I can't believe that you let Sarah get away with saying X, Y, and Z. I heard that all the time. And it's, and it has just helped me understand uh, it is that disappointed expectation that triggers the, that emotional reaction. And so now the emails that are hardest to read from listeners start with I love you guys. I was really disappointed in the way you handled this topic. That's the hardest to read for me, you know, because now we have this relationship and this connection and their expectations were disappointed. And mine in reading the email have been disappointed in some way, sometimes. Um, So I just try to keep that framework in mind so that I don't collapse into despair about some of what people are working out on me. I think it's really brave that you put political content in a space that's otherwise mostly around business. I've been surprised over the past few years to see people who I know have strong, passionate, values-based political views who will not allow it to interfere with their business lives. Um, So I really commend you for that. And I can imagine that it does invite a lot in that that we don't even have to deal with as political podcasters.
2: Yeah, and that's what they're mad about. They're not even mad that you've disappointed their political expectations. They're mad that you are breaking the rules as they see them, which is like, people are the the media. it's not when they disagree with you. It's when you've posted something they don't think you should have posted. Like, it's not even about the opinion itself. It's like, no one asked you. That's uh, that's the ugliest thing, right? Like, no one asked you. And so we don't get that because we're political podcasters. I also think part of it is like, people can't, you know, skim a podcast, right? You can't come into our main space just to find things to hate about us, right? Like if you're going to listen for an hour, we do a segment outside at the end of every show called Outside of Politics, just to remind people like, hi, there's more to life than this. Um, and so I think that that's, that's part of it. I mean, I have a I have a guy in my personal DM, I don't know why I blocked him. I guess I just find it entertaining. And he just rolls up and it just he just shares this like, you know, See how stupid Nancy Pelosi is, or can you like see why Biden is the worst? Blah, blah blah. And I just want to be like, what are you expecting out of this? I never respond. I haven't blocked him, but I never respond. And I'm kind of like, what are you? What what's your goal here? You know, Fred? it was
0: it was very interesting because. And then I want to move on from this, but it was very interesting because yesterday. When I when these comments were coming in, they were not actually from my followers. You know, they were people mm-hmm. who who had followed the hashtag. Oh yeah, because I don't hashtag. That's just an invitation, you know, for trolls. So that's all that um, is. <laughs> and right, and so and I know that, and I you know I have thick skin, so it's okay. But my response back, and usually I don't respond, but my response back was thank you so much for your kind comment. Every single comment that is put on this post helps the message to go farther and wider, mm. and you know, and and it's like. I just can't imagine being so mean. That's I think that's what it comes down to. You know, I might differ with your opinions, but there's also a way to handle things in politics and life and in business. Right. So it's it's like it's the meanness, I think, that is hurt. People the, hurt people, as Oprah says.
1: Yeah. And some of them aren't people, which we have to remember. Are, like,
0: Yes. Thank you, you for saying that. With. Thank you so much for saying that. So part of what I love about your story is that it did start as a passion project and it became a business. And so I'd love for you to share how it is that you guys make money. And this is something we talk about a lot here because I monetized a community as well. And I think that a lot of founders struggle with stepping over that threshold of passion projects, something I love doing and turning it into a business. And you guys have done it so beautifully.
2: So I'm trying to think back on our timeline, if what came first was our first ad or our first ask for listener support. It I'm was not. our first
1: ad. I remember you sold it to someone that you had a relationship, oh, yeah, a relationship with relationship through your blog. the blog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I sold an ad
2: for these. It was a great company. I don't know if it still exists, but it would like frame the photos and send them to you sort of about frame page, but like smaller desktop photos. Um, You could gift them to other people, which I always thought was really a good idea. Um, so, yeah, I think I sold that first ad to him. And then we set up, uh, this was, again, my husband being like, you need to ask your listeners for support. You need to ask your listeners for support. We started on this company called Payworld. Actually, this is funny because we just canceled the very last Payworld. We've been on Patreon for several years, but I would just leave the Paywall going because, I mean, why not? Um, and we just canceled the very last, but there was like five, I think we had about 48 people originally that supported the show from five to $15 a month. And I just canceled the last one, like for what, five years afterwards, this woman gave us $5 a month for five years. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we started to explore advertising, I would say first, and then, membership contributions, membership support, or listener support, basically. We had the literary agent come along and sell us, um, get us a book deal. So that was a heavy influx of cash. I think that was probably the one that um, really pushed Beth over the the threshold of quitting her full-time job so that we could write the book. Um, And then probably around a little after the, maybe the book came out, we started doing paid speaking gigs. And that's um, a big part of our business that we continue to want to grow. We even, you know, would get virtual gigs during COVID. So I would say those are that, I mean, we have some merchandise, some small affiliate links, nothing big. Um, our main sources of income are member support, advertising revenue, followed by book advances and paid public speaking gigs.
0: Let's talk about the member support piece a little bit. Community is something we talk about all the time here. It's what I do. I build community. And, and I, I think a lot of people have a lot of hesitation with asking people for support and asking people for help. But I would love for you to share why that's been so important to you guys and what it's done for your business.
1: Well, I had tremendous difficulty with this as a concept because I was, you know, my background as a professional was billing my time. I give you 15 minutes in exchange for money, not you like what I do in general. So you support it. Like it was just a really difficult reframe for me. And honestly, never would have happened if Sarah hadn't pushed it so hard and hadn't understood that there were people who valued what we do and would want to see it continue so we went to a podcast movement which is sort of the main industry conference in 2016 right after we had gotten started that was kind of our first big investment in our business um and i think we you know heard heard a lot of what people were doing there in terms of monetizing support we did a little bit with that ad sale and that first ad sale was a good preview of how fickle advertising would be throughout our career as podcasters. There are times when it's fantastic and times when it's not. And it's a really difficult foundation on which to build your business. And so um, Sarah said, finally, we just we have to do this. And Patreon was coming online as sort of the, the big stable platform to do it. So I made a bunch of mistakes on our behalf as we talked about that process in saying like what's the value proposition? People are going to give us money. We have to have a value proposition for them. And so we created these really um tedious tiers of support. $5, you get this and at 15 and at 25 and it was quite complex. And I was shocked quickly by how many people came in at the higher tiers of support and weren't even interested in the benefits we were offering. It was just that what we created had value in their lives and they wanted it to continue. And everyone could see that it was growing beyond the capacity that just the two of us had to handle it. We hired our first assistant because she reached out and volunteered to act as an assistant for us. She said, I know you need help can I help you? And she turned out to be a fantastic person who's, who's still with us as our, as our managing director. So that listener support ask that Sarah was good at making. She was good at just saying to the audience, we want to invest in this business. We want to give it all of our time. We cannot do that. We definitely can't hire staff. We can't hire professional audio engineers. We can't do the things that we know you want without your help. And people have come along so generously and in such a stable way, even through COVID, that listener support grew instead of contracting. And it has just, it's been such a lesson to me about generosity and the momentum that generosity carries and uh, how you can build your business on the, on a community that finds value and what you create for it. You talked about the, oh, sorry, sorry.
2: I was going to say, I think I had to learn a lot of lessons as a holdover from the sort of blocking space. I think, especially as women creators, this there's just this sense that I I create it for free, and I get value and exposure, and I build community, and I get to create, and so it it has to stay free forever. I just think we get stuck in a mindset, sort of almost where you unwrap in the where the internet is at that time, you get stuck it was a long time before I could finally really let go of the idea that like, this is, this, this is the passion project. This is a side hustle. And finally I woke up one day and was like, look around yourself, girl. Like, this is not, this is your full-time job. This is not a side hustle anymore. Um, and it, but it was just like hard to let go of that attitude. I kind of brought into the online space back in the, the early aughts. And I think there was just this, I think there's been really valuable and important women along the way. I think about Gabriel uh, Gabrielle Blair who came on and was like, this is how much I make. This is, we need to ask for, We this work is valuable and we should get paid for it. Um, people who just sort of opened up and do the work you're doing. Like, let's talk about money. Let's talk about what this work is worth. And I think that's, our audience was um, invaluable. Just pushing us saying like, you guys, your audio sucks. Like we want to keep listening to you, but you need to pay for better audio engineering and we will help you. But like, I mean, and also, you know, I know behemoths sort of get bad names and it's not like they're always perfect, but Patreon has been a game changer for creators, like just a game changer because it was, we can still offer it for free. Like we, our feed is free just like this day it started in 2015. Um, And there's additional content you can get. And I think, yeah, that is, there is this sort of balance of like giving something for the money and then also making sure you're not, it's not just additional, like you're already doing the work of the free stuff. Now you're creating work of the paid stuff when really the support was to prop up the free stuff, you know, like it's just this balance you're kind of constantly in. Um, But our listeners have been incredible and they, they never, there was no scarcity mindset. There was no like they are listeners more than a lot of even friends of ours who are creators who have Patreons do not act like consumers. They act like community members. They do not treat us like a product. Um, and that has been incredibly just life-giving. life-giving. But
0: that's a reflection on you. Hmm. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: You know, I mean, it's, it, you're inviting them in, you're inviting your audience And I, and I don't use the word audience because Mm -hmm. I also use the word community. You're inviting them into the conversation, whether it's through your podcast, by reading your book on social media, you know, or the extra bells and whistles that you give. And so I think that that is a very important lesson to point out what you just said, Sarah, because the community is everything Mm -hmm. and they're what's going to lift you and your business up no matter what you do, whether you have a podcast whether you have a t-shirt brand, I mean, really and truly. And I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen brands tweak their invitation to their audience and bring them in as a community. And all of a sudden, it's like eye-opening. And so I love that. And I love that you said that, like, really and truly, like, I, I could have, like, paid you to say that because that's what I talk <laughs> about every day. <laughs> you did, Beth, you did talk about, you said I we made some mistakes and and you had some complex tiers and you were surprised about how people were willing to give at the top tier. I would love to dive into this a little bit more. I think it's really helpful for people who, even like myself, like I've contemplated doing some kind of membership and I've gone back and forth and, and I, and I don't know, and maybe I will one day. I don't know, but I would be very interested myself, and I know a lot of people out there listening would too, to know what were those mistakes and what was it that people did want and what, what resonated with people to actually make that transaction to become a member of Pansy Politics.
1: I think we got better um, each year as we did a drive. So we followed sort of the NPR model of, of annually, we're going to come to you and, and kind of do a hard sell about uh, becoming a supporter of the show. And I think we got better at articulating this podcast exists because you want it to. And that's the only reason. This is a hard landscape. It's a weird industry. We are only here because you want us to be. And and people really responded to that. So when we created the tiers, we started with like, even we we had a dollar tier, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. There's no stake then. Someone hasn't right. joined something when they pledge a dollar, right? They They have to join at a level that, feels like they came in the door and want to be in the room. So we finally moved that to a $5 as our lowest here. And I think if we started today, we probably would have that number a little bit higher. You get in this this point too, where you sort of have a legacy that you're building on. And how do I negotiate my legacy versus what the market looks like now? Um, but we started with that $5 amount. And I don't even remember. I think we sent people some, some merchandise, which we deeply regretted. Don't, don't ship things, you know, people don't want it as much as they think they do. And it is so expensive and time consuming. And, and that's what I think we've gotten really focused on. Let us not be in businesses that aren't our business, even through giving rewards to our members, let us not create business. That's not what we're good at. (laughs) Um, And so we have shifted now we're good at making podcasts. So we make two podcasts for our membership now in the mornings. Sarah does an overview of the day's headlines, and she does it on video because Sarah's really comfortable in that format. She's engaging. She's funny. It is is a way for people to feel like they spent some time with Sarah, and that was a real draw. And so we saw a, a real uptick. Sarah, she had been doing that on Instagram, and we looked at the numbers and realized we are not converting from Instagram to podcasts. So why is she putting this much effort into something every single day? Instead, let's move it into this format where we we know we have podcast listeners and it's really been a draw that's been very successful. The other podcast that we offer, I do, I am much more of an in the weeds, nerdy, um, let's just like go through the details and really tease something out kind of personality. And so I make a, about a 15 minute podcast on one topic. Um, that is a deeper dive. We call it more to say. So to get both of those, you have to be at the $15 level. At the $5 level, you just get the morning one. And those are our two main tiers. And those are the tiers we talk about. We have kept some higher level tiers because from the beginning, we announced an executive producer tier where you get credit at the end of our show every time. And we have about 40 people who do that. $100 a month executive producer tier and have for years. Oh my Um, and it's amazing and life-giving and truly foundational to our show. That's a base that you can say, okay, here's some stability that I can work off of now. Right.
2: And I mean, they basically pay
1: for the audio engineering. They do. I mean, it is, it is critical. When I have moments when I panic about the state of the industry and what's going to happen with advertising, and that happens frequently, when those moments come around, I think about those executive producers and I think we'll figure this out. Like we have a team behind us who's highly invested in our work. So if I could do all this over again, like stripping away the complexity and the the merch and the things that we've tried that just felt like we were trying, I would say do the things that you do well in that space and trust that people want to support it and keep it simple. Those have been my big lessons. I love that. And I
0: also, I talk a lot about like not being everything to everyone and you yep. just hit the nail on the head because like who wants to, if you're producing a a podcast about politics, do you really want to send t-shirts out? No, like, and-
1: we're not good at it. That's the big thing. We just don't have the skills. That's a skill. You know, it sounds easy, but that's a skill.
2: Yes. Well, and I think here's the flip side of this conversation. A lot of conversations around community are all about the building. It's all about the growing in the building. And I think we, we hit a point where we did a drive that didn't didn't convert near as many as we used to to our membership community. And we realized, well, we're already converting at 10%. That's a really good conversion rate. And we're really sustaining, not growing. How big do we want this community to be? How big is it on Instagram where it actually serves anybody? You know, we have friends who who have, you know, sort of crested that 100,000 follower threshold. And they say the comments just suck. Like it just drops off a cliff. Um, and I think like, that's the other hard part of this is like, once you've built something that is foundational, how do I sustain it? Am I always in this growth mindset? Does that serve the community to grow it at 10, 20, 30% every year? Um, and I think that is, that is an almost more difficult, uh, conversation than let's just get it up and running. Let's just get it going. Let's build, let's build, let's build.
0: You talked about your two employees. Who's who handles your social media? Is it you guys? Is it them? It's one of them, thank god. <laughs> I, I mean, and because you get oh, yeah. to a point where
2: you can't exhaust it anymore. And well, it- we just, we you know, especially on Patreon. Now, I, I look at the comments of my morning news brief every day, but that's because there's 20 to 40. Would I do that if there were 500? No, I wouldn't, right? So, they wouldn't get that response from our team that moment of, Yeah, I see you. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. That's hard. We have a community leader right now, Maggie, who's amazing, and she chimes in on Instagram and she does all these posts where she's like, you know, just basically saying, I hear you, but your community gets to a certain size. You can't do that. And then you're at then the question is, is there a community here? Is there like, is it my community if I'm not responding, if we're not in conversation together? But rather what's going on is now I I think there is space where yes, that's still true. Like we started a Discord for people who didn't want to be on Instagram and didn't want to be on Facebook, but wanted to be in conversation with other listeners. Um, and we are not on there. We don't respond. We don't like, and we have a Facebook page. That's kind of just like, this is for listeners to be together. Um, and so I think there's like room for that, but I think like, you just kind of have to, you kind of have to figure out your pie chart. You kind of have to figure how all that fits together and what it means and what, what the community wants. And they're not always going to want the same thing, just, you know, worth worth pointing out. And so it's just, it's a it's a delicate mix that you're never done with. I mean, I'm, you know, my personality is like, I want to check it off and be like, we did it, we fixed it, we're done. Um, but That's not really what an online community, that's no. not how it works.
0: No. So I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to ask you guys how your book deals changed your business. Because I would imagine that that put you on the map in a much different way.
1: Well, it it first, I think, convinced me that it was time to invest my full-time labor in our business. You know, a book deal has a credibility that podcasts didn't back in 2016, um, 2017. And so when that offer came across and with it an advance that gave us a financial infusion of cash that we hadn't had to that point, um, I thought you know, even if this just is a sabbatical, I have to do it. I have to, I have to take this risk. And so being full-time changed the game for both of us. Putting our full-time effort into the business uh, was the first game changer. And then the book did add that layer of credibility. Like it was easier to tell people, Hey, this is what we do. This is what we're about. We have a message. We have an expertise. And I think that the earned media from that expertise, the opportunity to speak more and to give people this really concise package of what we'd be speaking about was helpful. Now, we're not good at sticking to that. We're podcasters. We like to talk. Like, we like to be wide ranging. And we tell people that up front. But, you know, marketing does have to be pretty buttoned up. And the book buttoned us up and and i think it buttoned us up at a time when we really needed that coherence and that just led to lots of new opportunities to talk with people about who we are and what we know
0: did you guys ever expect when you first started this passion project that this would be where you are
2: i try to go back in time and remember sort of where i was and what i expected and i think the truth is like I didn't one way or the other. I was putting one foot in front of the other one. I had my third child. I was running for office. Um, I was sort of in the process of figuring out that that child had a disability. Like it just there was a lot going on. You were and day so by day at the, mo- in the I moment. I was day by day. Every podcast was like day by day, figuring out like what we're just sitting down. What are we going to talk about? You know, like and so. I think, you know, I think in contrast to my blog, like I can see a lot of the factors at play that maybe if I had some really good night's sleep at the time, I could have identified, which was, you know, I was a little late to the blogging game. Our timing was really well with podcasts. Like it wasn't occupied by the big media giants, particularly in the political category yet. um, Because we came sort of in front of Donald Trump in particular. I think we, you know, has that beginning of sort of pitching ourselves as bipartisan been hard? Yes. And also I'm never mad at it because I think it was that tight elevator pitch that helped our success, that helped Apple feature us. Like, and I think that was missing when I was a blogging the elevator pitch was not there. And that it's just, when you're trying to launch something, if you can people get it quickly it's huge. It's just, it is huge. And so I can see all those like things in place that maybe if I'd been a little more clear headed, I could have identified and thought like, Ooh, what is this going to be? But, um, I mean, literally for the first year, year and a half, it really was just, I'm just going to sit down and talk to Beth twice a week. I love talking politics. The political environment is stressing me out. So this is like a really good space to press to process that stress and the, like that. And that's still true. Um, but in the beginning it was just, I like doing, I mean, again, there's that other component, right? Which is we had good timing that, which is mostly luck. We had a good elevator pitch and we were just
0: doing it to do like, we just were enjoying ourselves. We still but enjoy so ourselves. That's very important. And, and I, you said it before I was going to just say it and you took the words out of my mouth. I think that the best community experiences the best brands come from the places of enjoyment and happiness Mm -hmm. and you know I very similarly didn't realize I was doing what I was doing with bump club and I loved it and I just did it and I think that shows and it doesn't happen overnight that you go from where you were then to where you are now but it happens in a way that is so authentic and people don't disappear. They don't drop off the plant. I mean, it's like, you're not like a one hit wonder, like you are part of their lives. And I think that that is so important that you just said that, that you stuck with it, you loved it. And that, that showed, and that's what has really gotten you to where you are. Well, and there was an ease, like if there hadn't been a certain amount of
2: ease, I wouldn't have had the capacity to do it because I was, I I didn't have a lot of margin between The three kids and the running for office and the, you know, just life like
0: there wouldn't have been a lot of margin to sort of like slog through something. Are you guys seeing right now more conversation, more people listening because we're approaching midterms?
1: We usually see about 30 percent growth around elections. I don't know if it will be that way this year or not. I have a feeling it will because of the combination of midterms and January 6th hearings and the the whole situation with the department of justice and and the documents at mar-a-lago. So there's a lot going on right now that that will probably bring new people into our community. We hope so. We think it's a good place to be. I think that another lesson that I've learned, Sarah and I were just having this conversation about smart goals. She was like, "We need some smart goals." And we do. She's right. And also I hate them because it's still day to day in a lot of ways. We still have young children. I'm dealing with my Aging dog, as we record here, which never happens. She's just very sick and she's very unhappy. Um, We're still day to day in a lot of ways, and the political landscape is so unpredictable. Uh, I was surprised by how many people, as soon as the inauguration happened last year, were like, I'm out for a while. I have given this everything I've got. I'm emotionally exhausted. I cannot go anymore. And so I'm going to take a big break. And it was really surprising to me. And it's been really surprising to see what has brought those folks back and when they've chosen to come back and how much of that has to do with their personal lives uh, versus the new cycle. So I think maintaining that sense of ease, as Sarah was saying, has been really critical to us. Like Know your numbers, yes, but also make sure you see the full story around those numbers instead of always thinking you need to adjust because sometimes you just have to keep showing up. And eventually, your people will show back up with you. Thank you for
0: saying that. You guys have shared so many amazing like nuggets and tips i I am very excited to share this conversation. I want to ask you guys one more question, and then I'm gonna give you guys back your day. But the last thing I ask all my guests are, and I and there's two of you, so I'm gonna ask you both to participate um three tips, three actionable tips that you would give a founder who's getting started and who just is stuck and needs that encouragement.
2: I would say have a community of support around you, which I know is sort of cliche advice, but I think founding and being an entrepreneur and being a content creator, like when you talk about it can become very individualized, right? Like you're telling your story, you're talking about the content you're creating, you're talking about how you're feeling about it. And we just told you a lot of things. What I didn't tell you is that my mother retired. At a really important part in our business, point in our business where we were traveling a lot to speak, and had she not retired, it would have been almost impossible because she kept my kids while um, she would pick them up from school. Or she would take them to appointments. She still does an enormous amount of help surrounding just childcare. Um, my husband has an incredibly flexible job, like he's an attorney, uh, but he's a partner, so and he works in real estate, so he can. Um, take off and pick up. And he doesn't travel a lot for work, which is really nice. My stepdad has a flexible job. He's a real estate agent. Um, I have an amazing just small town community. So there's always somebody I can say, oh, crap, this interview went too long. Can you pick up my kid? Or, um, oh, no, I'm going to be out of town. And I thought I was going to be here. Can you help me with this? And so I just I could list so many people that have been (laughs) key, even if they don't know it, to Pantsu Politics success um, and to maintaining a somewhat reasonable stress level as a, like a business founder. So I think, you know, having that community, family, friends, whatever it is, however you formulated around yourself is really, really important. And I would say that I had a really key moment as, as like in the life of sort of my journey as the Pantsuit Politics business owner. I have an amazing woman who does dry needling on me. Actually, she moved and it's devastating and I'm not ready to talk about it. But when she still lived here, I'll never forget one time her saying, she's like, oh, you're so tense. You seem really stressed. And I was like, no, it's just, everything's going so great. We have this book, we're writing this book. I've always wanted to write a book. And she's like, well, good stress is still stress. And I'll never forget when she said that to me. And I thought, oh crap, she's right. Like I tell myself, I love doing this. And so it shouldn't be hard on me because I love it. And I'm so, this is what I've always wanted to do. And now I'm doing it. And I I still have to dial up my stress management, which I think is just like a very badly designed system. The idea that like the more stress you are, the more work you have to put in to managing your stress when you're tired from the stress. I don't know who thought this up. I think it's really bad. I would like to submit some um, edits or revisions, but that's where we are. And so, you know, exercising more, going back to therapy, all this stuff, especially through COVID while we were running this business has been really, really key. And I mean, the third one, I don't know if this is advice, but I think uh, again, entrepreneurial like visions can become very individualized, but every success in my life has been a partnership from my marriage to my first blog to this podcast. Like, and I think it's a personality thing. You have to sort of figure it out. But there is something I think that's just magical about a good partnership Um, when you're not in it all by yourself and you can bounce things off and you can, you know, sort of feed off each other's energy and have these conversations. And I just think like a good partnership
1: is unbeatable. Well, I co-sign all of that. Um, (laughs) I would start with um, spend time on your time. It is really important to me to have at least 30 minutes every Friday afternoon to physically write in a planner what's on my calendar for the next week, because that's how I get to think about my time. I catch things like, oh, I didn't put in drive time, but I also start to realize I don't have mental space to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. What do I need to change here? And that that investment of time in how I'm going to spend my time is the best 30 minutes that I spend every week. The second thing I would say is to keep a posture of generosity. Lindsay, when I was listening to episodes of Found Her, I noticed how specific you are in introducing your guests and how specifically you lift up different qualities. And I think that just speaks to a spirit of generosity. And and I think that's a really important place to be. To be uh, specific in how you praise employees, to be specific in how you thank partners. If you're having a lot of conversations, you have to have some, but if you're having a lot of conversations that sound like, ooh, we overpaid for this, or people are going to start to feel entitled to that, or I don't want to do this if they don't X, like that's, that is a draining that's a business that's going to drain you. It's going to take more than it gives. And so staying in that place of I always want to be giving more than I take has been really healthy and and good and life giving for me. And a big shift from the corporate sphere that I was in before I got to own my own business. Um, The third thing I would say is that I cannot overstate the value of therapy because owning a business is extremely emotional and will push buttons that you didn't know you had and pull out pieces of you that you didn't know needed work. Uh, It's like whole new muscles in your brain and your spirit have to have to be built around owning a business. And I think participating in a partnership also requires a lot of self-awareness. What is it about me that's responding this way? Does this indicate a problem or is this just a thing that I've always done or a reaction I've always had? Um, What is it that I need to know about myself to show up in a healthy way for my partner, for my business, for our for our community? Um, So seeing a professional has been a a game changer for me.
0: Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, co-hosts and co-founders of Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much for being here. This was an incredible conversation. I feel honored to have been graced by your presence. Truly, I'm so excited to share this. And I just want to say congratulations because what you've built is incredible And I just, I know from experience that you probably didn't, like we just discussed, expect this and here we are
1: and you are doing amazing things. So please keep it up. Well, thank thank you. you. And thank you for lifting up our voices and so many other women's this this kind of space is so needed. I'm so glad you created it. Thank you. So I told you it was an amazing episode and
0: I want to just make sure that you know that you can click the link in the show notes and subscribe to pantsuit politics their podcast and you can also check out sarah and beth's new book now what those are linked in the show notes and you should absolutely check them out and also make sure you follow them on instagram there's so many takeaways from today's episode so many that i am going to only list five here and just as i always do i'm going to be sending the takeaways out to my email list all of them so you want to make sure that you subscribe the link is also in the show notes When you do, you also get a lesson every single week that will help you to grow your own business. But for now, here are the top five takeaways from today's episode with Beth and Sarah. Number one, make what you create have value so that people want you to keep going. Number two, when you create content for free, you have to remind yourself that you do not have to keep it free forever. You have to monetize what you're doing when you are putting so much time and energy into a passion project. Number three, When creating a membership or an offer, simple is better. When you start to offer things that are not in your wheelhouse, it takes too much time to execute and it takes away from your original goal. Number four, community is all about the building, the growing and the building. You have to think about how big you want it to be. If it's too big, is it going to stop serving people? As a creator, there are a lot of things to consider when it comes to the size of your community. And number five, you want to make sure that you're still enjoying yourself because that shows to your community each and every day. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Dear Found Her. Thank you to Sarah and Beth for sharing their knowledge and wisdom. I have so loved sharing this episode with our community. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure you take out your phone and scroll all the way down and click that five-star rating or leave a review so that others can find us. We have some amazing guests coming up. You can also subscribe to Dear Found Her wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or who has an idea, you can text them this episode. Just hit the share button or share it in your Instagram and tag me. I always share some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Found Her coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.